Well, good Saturday. This is Ed Stetzer, and you're listening to Ed Stetzer Live. And uh, then we come at you this and every Saturday at this time, uh, outlets across the United States. Of course, people listen all around the world. You can always do that at the app if you go to edstetzerlive.com. That's all right there I and mean, easy to download um, and more. So um, so I do want to in, invite you to, this is one of the you know, conversations you might say, hey, I wanna, let's text a friend. I want to I wanna learn and listen uh, a little bit of today. In today's show, we're going to have a conversation with a friend of mine named Michelle Sanchez. She has a new book. And, uh, and I actually have, she had this new book that came out, oh, guess, guess a few months ago, and I was living in England. I don't know that anybody who listens really cares where I live, but I do tell people where I am because I no longer live in England. And for a few weeks there, we did our show back in Chicagoland where I live at Wheaton College. I'm the executive director of the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center. But I had somebody, uh, I was in a line at Walgreens and someone said, hey, it's, it's her, you know, I, and, you know, I listened to your show. And they said, I think it's fascinating that you've been, you know, living in these different places during your sabbatical. And so it may just be one person, but now I'm going to tell you where I'm living now. So I've actually uh, moved to California, and Don and I will be living in California, where I'm actually broadcasting from live right now. Uh, I'm the scholar in residence at Mariner's Church, and we'll be living here in Southern California for the next several months. Normally, I'm the executive director of the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center and a dean and professor at Wheaton College. And uh, on sabbatical, still those things, but on sabbatical from those things. So um, so, so anyway, all that to say, um, we are glad to join you today and have a conversation with my friend, Michelle, Michelle Sanchez. But in the fall when I was gone, her, her book came out. And so I was looking and excited about the opportunity to have her on to discuss her new book with you. And this weekend is a perfect uh, weekend to do it. Maybe when we get to the topic, you'll see why. So let me tell you about Michelle. Michelle is uh, Executive Minister of Make and Deepen Disciples for the Evangelical Covenant Church. Some of you may have heard of the Evangelical Covenant Church. It's a multi-ethnic denomination, uh, a little less than a thousand congregations. She actually started as an investment banker at Goldman Sachs. And then she was ministering international students with Crew, what we used to call Campus Crusade in New York City. She's been in different capacities uh, with things like the Institute for Bible Reading, the Pelican Project, and the Lausanne Movement for World Evangelization. She's the author of uh, three books designed to provide Christ-centered racial discipleship for all ages, ages including her newest book that we're going to talk about today, uh, Color Courageous Discipleship. Now, Michelle, you're in Chicagoland while I'm suffering for the Lord in 60-degree weather in Chicago, but welcome <laughs> to the program. Oh, so great to be here with you. So, well... As you know, I lost you there for a second, but uh, as you know, Michelle and I mentioned earlier, we have been friends. I wrote the foreword to this book, and so uh, so I'm, I'm familiar with the content, and so we're going to talk through uh, some of the content of this book, but we're doing it in and around uh, Martin Luther King Jr. weekend, you know, so we've got um, the holiday coming up and more. Now, it's interesting for those of you who know history, you know, most people today have a uh, you know, very overwhelmingly positive. I mean, some people would, but overwhelmingly positive perception. I mean, we have a holiday named after Martin Luther King Jr. We see the struggle that he was a part of. It's a significant forward uh, progress for our nation, uh, the civil rights movement, and more. That was not the case uh, in the '60s, and uh, and and really up to his assassination, uh, April 4th, 1968. Uh, King was a very uh, unpopular figure, seen as pushing too fast, too far on issues of race. But one of the things that happens when, when you have a holiday, for example, uh, is you everyone will sort of, everyone's too strong word, many people will sort of take hold of something 
And King, King is, you know, voluminous, his words and his, you know, speeches and his writing, and we've all studied them. And Michelle, as you know, I think we, I think we fair to say the most uh, famous quote is that uh, King talked about and in more than one occasion, and he did said it in different ways, is that people should be judged on the uh, content of their character, not the color of their skin. And I think that's an important place to start because, and, and again, all of you heard that, I mean, I wrote the forward of this book, Michelle and I are friends. Um, but one of the questions, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask some hard questions to Michelle, because one of the things we hear today, you're in, in even the title of your book, it's Color Courageous Discipleship. You want us to be aware of, to care about, be engaged with people's race and ethnicity. Well, shouldn't we not worry about that and just care about the content of people's character, not the color of their skin? Let's jump into this conversation All right. says, and give us give us some wisdom. I am ready. And again, Ed, I just love you. I love your work. And I am just delighted to join you today. So, yes, happy MLK weekend. Um, I I want to just start by honoring him and I'm going to read the full quote from his I Have a Dream speech. And people say this is probably one of his most famous quotes, if not the most famous. He said, I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. Now, let's get something straight. This is beautiful. <laughs> Every single word here is beautiful and and i can see why so many have been attracted to these words ha even memorize these words and think of these words when they think of dr king and i completely agree with them obviously if we are to be judged by anything at all we want to be judged by who we are inside who we are in terms of the content of our character so first, let's start with a hearty amen for, for these words of Dr. King. And I also would remind us, Dr. King was a pastor first, and, and he knew something that we all need to remember, that we are all equally created in the image of God. We're equally created in the image of God. And so, of course, in that respect, we've got to see each other equally. Uh, we, we have no differences between us when it comes to how much God loves us and, and that he has designed each one of us to reflect who he is. In that sense, we are all agreed. At the same time, I think that some have misunderstood then King to be colorblind. Okay, colorblind. And I like to say, no, 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 that's a myth. He wasn't colorblind. He was color courageous. And what do I mean by that? So when people say, hey, uh, you know, I don't see color, right? That idea that, hey, the way toward racial equality is to essentially ignore what's different about each one of us, to ignore or downplay our racial or other differences. But that's not at all uh, what King would have said. He would have said, no, 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 we're, again, equally created in the image of God, but we also have God-created and beautiful differences. In a broken world, those differences can lead to inequality and conflict. King would have wanted us to celebrate our God-ordained differences and also to see when they're breeding conflict and inequality in a broken world. If we can't see those realities, 
we can't address them. So like I said, I like to say King wasn't colorblind. That's a myth. Um, he was color courageous. Yeah. So I, I, um, you know, I first, I grew up in a neighborhood, a community, uh, for those who know history, it's called Levittown, New York. And, um, uh, when I grew up there, there, there were no African-Americans in our community that I, that I recall. Um, it was mainly Italians and Irish. And there are reasons for that. People can actually Google Levittown, New York, and there are very distinct reasons for that. It's, it's, it's made global. It was a, you know, people have written articles about this, New York Times, scholarly articles about some of the exclusionary practices in Levittown. Uh, but still, I do remember uh, my, probably the first conversation having about race was actually kind of along the lines that my, I think it was my dad, said, you know, we, we don't see color. I mean, that's what he said. We don't see color. He, they were, they were, they were, you know, they were against the idea of racism and the way they expressed it is we don't see color. And, um, and, and again, I, I, I don't know if they were reflecting the language. My dad was reflecting the language of Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, but certainly that, and, and, I, and I would say he meant that in the best sense of the word. The best sense of the word is we treat people uh, people, you know, he was he was a union iron construction worker, and you know, he said whatever the race per person work hard, I'm for them. And so I think that that is um, probably the way I first thought about how best to engage issues of race. In your book, again, for those who are just joining us um, listening, I'm talking to Michelle Sanchez and Michelle Sanchez, and we're talking about her book, Color Courageous Discipleship. I would later see the value of, you know, understanding more about a person's journey uh, individually or even the journey of, uh, you know, people of different ethnicity and races, things of that sort. But but is is it how do we contrast those two? You know, you're talking mm -hmm. of us being aware of those things, um, but you do make the case that color blindness, which, again, is probably what my dad taught me and as a kid, that color blindness is ineffective and color being aware, color courageous is kind of a positive way to put it. We, but we could just say aware yeah. of racial and ethnic differences. Why is color blindness ineffective in your view? Oh, okay. This is very important. Why is color blindness ineffective? Let me first say, Ed, that color blindness is a well-intentioned attitude, okay? Those who have color blindness uh, or, or pursue that far and away are, are looking to make things better, are looking to avoid racial inequality. And so for that, we can say amen. Um, at the same time, what we've been realizing is that colorblindness, though, has in uh, has its limitations and, and is proving in the end to be ineffective. Essentially, why? Because those who cannot see race also cannot see racism. I'm going to say that again. Th those who can't see race will have a hard time seeing racism. Uh, it will become easier to miss racial inequities if you're not paying attention to racial categories. And, and so that is uh, <laughs> at heart why... Uh, it's ineffective. And actually, there's now reams of research to prove it. Yeah. So so talk to me a little bit about that. So to prove what specifically are we talking about? We're trying to prove that people uh, treat one another differently if they're not aware of racial and ethnic differences or what, what's the research proof? Yes. So what the research is now showing us is that colorblindness actually produces racial inequity, precisely the opposite of what was intended. And I'll give you a couple of examples of that in the course of our conversation. 
But I do want to recommend there's a great resource uh, by called the Psychology of Color Blindness. Okay, the Psychology of Color Blindness, and uh, the author and researcher Philip Mazzocco, basically he reviewed copious amounts of research and study specifically on colorblindness by many others. And his summary of all the work was this. Although the preference for colorblindness may be well-intentioned for some, the consequences of colorblindness appear to be almost entirely negative, both with respect to racial minorities and society at large. So just a couple of examples. What we're realizing is that today, few people intentionally embrace racism. Okay, few people intentionally embrace racism, and yet we still have massive racial inequality in almost every area of life that we can measure, whether it's wealth or home ownership or education or criminal justice or health care or career opportunities. All of these are, are in unequal in terms of how people of different races are experiencing them. And so so the, the how do we explain that, right? How do we explain that? If nobody's racist, how come we still have so much racial inequality? And, and I think that the colorblind uh, attitude is part of the explanation for that because we're not able to, we're not paying attention and we're not able to see these inequalities as much. Another uh, reality that we're discovering more in our generation is the reality of unconscious bias. And so we have to understand that, yes, even if we don't intend to treat people differently uh, by race, actually, uh, we still have the tendency to do so. And so, again, if we're not paying attention, we may unintentionally uh, treat people unequally. No one wants to do that. I think the uh, timing of your book is worth mentioning as as well. So um, several books have come out from Christian authors, and the in the in the last few uh, months, uh, and and and, agree, and the reason it has to do with has to do with timing. So people people who are not in publishing probably don't pick up on that when something happens, that books tend to come out about that about eighteen months to two years later because. It takes uh, authors, you know, maybe eight months to a year to write a book, and then it goes through the publishing process and the editing process and all those sorts of things. And so, uh, your book and lots of other uh, books that 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 have come out to kind of foster in this discussion uh, came out after the world saw the murder of George Floyd on their television screens. And during that time, uh, all of the books that uh, were on were written by Christians on issues of of race. Um, sold out. Um, one, uh, Jamar Tisby, who wrote the afterward to your book, uh, his book went to the New York Times bestseller list after it had been out for so long. Yeah. Uh, and so Waterbrook, yeah. So, but but people were all interested. They were engaging these conversations. I mean, as a pastor, I was on countless innumerable panels about some of these issues. And your publisher, Waterbrook, uh, obviously must have approached you in and around that time and said, "This is an important issue." And you, you've brought a, a kind of an important part to the conversation as well. I, I want to talk about that timing. And then I want to talk about um, how, in some ways, the conversation has shifted since then. Yes. Our numbers, we take your calls to 877-548-3675. Again, the phone number is 877-548-3675. We're going to continue with Michelle Sanchez and your calls in just a moment. Hey, we're back at Stetzer Live, continuing our conversation with, with Michelle Sanchez. And 
Uh, Michelle has written a book and that we're going to be talking about today. We actually have some, we're going to share some copies with callers a little later on. It's called Color Courageous Discipleship. And just, just before the break there, I was talking about uh, the timing of the book, because I think this is an important part of the conversation. By the way, the full title of her book is Color Courageous Discipleship, Follow Jesus, Dismantle Racism, and Build Beloved Community. And the Beloved Community thing is going to be a key part of what we discuss. But I want to talk about the timing, because uh, two years ago, uh, well, more than two years ago now, but in the summer of 2020, there were a whole lot of conversations about uh, race, ethnicity. Um, there was a lot of conversations about um, how African-Americans or people of color in general may encounter the police differently or may have experience, you know, we talked some about uh, housing. Uh, I've talked to James Meeks. Some of you know the name of James Meeks. He's one of the board members of Moody Bible Institute. You know, this program is part of Moody Radio. It's a ministry of Moody Bible Institute. So James Meeks, we were having lunch once and he talked about, you know, property in my neighborhood doesn't doesn't appreciate, property in your neighborhood appreciates. And there are structural issues that are there. And people were, I think, talking more about those things which is why many publishers, including Waterbrook, would approach someone. And if you don't know Michelle, she's just a key thinker in and around, uh, well, many, many topics. Evangelism and discipleship is a key part of her ministry focus. Uh, but then Waterbrook said, you know, and, and bought this journey where it eventually produced her book, Color Courageous Discipleship. But since then, there's also been a significant backlash to some of these conversations. I think in part because an honest view of the situation is that most people rethought uh, and issues of race and maybe thought more deeply on issues of race in 2020 forward. And for many people, that meant a greater awareness. People were like, well, you know, I hadn't thought about that. And now, and it might be even before that, you know, what happened in Ferguson or more. And there's been a greater awareness. And some people might say, you know, I do see s systemic racism in, um, you know, maybe uh, educational outcomes in public schools. I, or maybe I see systemic racism in, it could be different things. And but what happened was is people accelerated on these issues in different levels. So some people began to say, you know, I, I see systemic racism uh, as just pervasive in society. Just just just, you know, then and other people said, well, I see it in these ways, but I don't see it in these areas. And then other people said, you know, I think you're seeing it in areas that it's not. And we started to have a, uh, a pretty loud conversation about uh, race that was not as much I want to learn more, but people began to be, I guess, somewhat entrenched more in their opinions. So I, I'm interested, Michelle, and I didn't tell you I was going to ask this question, but it's live radio, so why not? Um, you know, when you, when you, compared to when you started to write to when you published, it feels like it, the, the conversation in around these issues has changed. Uh, let me just say, I appreciate your courage because you stepped into a conversation that two years ago when you started writing, I think doesn't feel the same way. Is, is that is that a fair articulation of the situation? And tell me how how it's been for you in the conversation. Um, and I, w I would say yes. There there is less interest um, in the conversation about race than there was two years ago, and also a lot more um, backlash and and defensiveness kind of all around. Um, and of course, you know, that is discouraging, but at the same time, not surprising. Uh, because if we look back historically in our country, whenever we see um, some uh, forward movement in race relations, soon after we see a kind of backlash to it. 
And uh, there's many examples of that. We, we had the Civil War, for example, and the abolishing of slavery, some good years after that in Reconstruction, but then immediately a huge backlash with the Ku Klux Klan and um, with Jim Crow. And uh, we kind of go through these cycles, you know, um, in, in our in our nation over and over again. And I honestly, you know, I'm a I'm a spiritual person and I believe that there are uh, powerful uh, dynamics at work, um, demonic uh, nature of a demonic nature that really wants us to remain in conflict, you know, rather than uh, moving toward the reconciliation that, that Jesus has for us. So I think that our enemy loves to just breed division, breed confusion um, among us. And, and we'll see that over and over, but I, I remain focused on forward movement and, there are still uh, many bright spots in the conversation happening today. Yeah, yeah, I think it's good. I think, you know, I mean, one of the reasons I wanted to have the conversation is I think that, because I'm of the view that, uh, I'm not that people are sitting around wondering what does Ed Stetzer think, because I mainly interview my guests, but I'm of the view that, you know, systemic racism is real. You can actually, you can find it measurably in, in different contexts. I, I'm probably not of the view that it's in every context. I think there are places that are different than other places, uh, communities are different other communities, you know, uh, contexts are different. Um, but, but, I, but I do think that even when I say that systemic racism is real in blank, uh, you know, people are like, well, that's, you know, critical race theory. You must, you know, so, so critical systemic racism, which, which is something I, I, I guess I first learned about this in, when I was a young pastor in Buffalo, New York, and how, uh, you know, outcomes in relationship with people of color were different than outcomes uh, even the way, for example, teachers engage, you talked about unconscious bias, things of that sort. And so those very things that for 30 years, 30 years ago I learned, now are critical race theory, which is something that nobody had even heard of 30 years ago. Now, again, critical race theory is real. It's a thing, but not everything is critical race theory. So how, when you talk about issues of race in your book, you want us to be race conscious to what end? So if we're going to be race yeah. conscious... Um, what are we going to do knowing that there are some differences between us? Well, I, I could answer that in a lot of different ways, but uh, let me first say that what we all want, what we all should want is to get at reality, to get at truth. Um, yes. I, I'm, I'm not of the opinion that we want to find, you know, racism under every single rock and, and every corner. I mean, that that's not going to be helpful and, and nor is it even true. And so so just to be clear, I don't think that's helpful. But I, I think we, we do want to have a clearer view of reality. What is actually happening um, in this beautiful country? I'll just speak for this country, rather the whole world uh, in this beautiful country where we have said clearly that we want to make sure that everyone has the equal opportunity, right? For life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness, equal opportunity, right? And, and um, for me, that's it. We, we want to make sure that everyone has an equal shot at life. Um, you know, there's also a lot of pe people uh, used to call Martin Luther King a communist. Uh, I don't know if people know that, but he was constantly accused of being Marxist and communist because he was trying to talk about equality. Um, and, and those kinds of things are, are coming up again now. Uh, but, but let's get clear that this is not about forcing everybody to ha have the same thing in life and be the same thing in life. No, no, we're not talking about that. We're talking about equal opportunity 
for life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. And um, when we look at the the data, um, we can see that 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 it we we're not we're not there yet, Ed. <laughs> We're just, I want to be there. I want us to be there. And I think we all share the dream. But when we look, we see, well, we're not there yet. And and I just want to ask the question, well, what can we do to get closer? Yeah. And I would say that, you know, we're, we're, you and I are in agreement with that. And I think not everyone will be, and that's okay. Cause I think that's part of what a discussion is. And so, but the, the reality is, is there are still uh, issues for us to address. And I think it takes more courage now to have these conversations uh, than maybe a couple of years ago. So again, I know the, again, the title of the book, just so everyone's aware is again, is color courageous discipleship, but I appreciate your courage to continue to have, uh, these conversations, uh, as well. Let me mention to everybody that we're going to take your calls, uh, just at the beginning of the next segment. And I want to invite you to give us a call. Uh, our, our phone number here at Ed Setzer Live is, uh, 877-548-3675, 877-548-3675. Three six seven five. We're talking about color, courageous discipleship. Follow Jesus, dismantle racism, and build beloved community as well. So we're going to talk about all of those things and take your calls. Let me give you the phone number one more time. Uh, our phone number is eight seven seven five four eight three six seven five. So also too, let me mention that we've got our team answer those calls. Charles mans the phones. Does a great job. Uh, my my producer. Uh, is Karen Hendren. Patricia McMillan is filling in for her today. Thankful for her. And Chris Papadink is actually filling in for Courtney Young, who's our normal engineer, but she is uh, stuck overnight in a uh, train, not plane, a train, a plane misconnection. And we're thinking of her, and she should be back soon. But thanks for Chris for, for calling in, uh, for filling in as well. We'll be back with your calls in just a moment. Hey, it's Stetzer Live. We're continuing our conversation with uh, Michelle Sanchez, and we've got calls coming in. This is great. I, I kind of assumed we would. And uh, and again, hopefully we can have a good, positive discussion where even where people might say, well, how do I, here's how I might see this, or here's how I might take this as well. So again, we're talking uh, with Michelle Sanchez. Her, her new book is called Color Courageous Discipleship. And I want to give some calls. I want to explain what we mean by discipleship and more, but we're going to get to that in, in uh, just a minute. So let's start with uh, Patricia listening here on K-Wave, which is now where I'm going to be listening, Patricia, because I'm in Southern California as well. So, Patricia, you're live on the air with your question or your comment. (laughs) Go ahead, Patricia. Thank you. Good morning. Thank you for uh, taking my call. What an immense and challenging subject. It's huge, and it touches every part of our lives. Um, You know, I was thinking even before the show began about what's going on, you know, thinking about my grandchildren, my great-grandchildren, and, um, you know, and just uh, this whole thing with um, the progressive churches. I was listening to a program earlier, and um, just what, you know, how how things have just turned upside down. So you you discussed, I was listening to you and Ms. Sanchez speak about— just the inequality, you know, just what's going on. And, and, and it has me thinking about, you know, uh, uh, the color courageous discipleship and how we can bring unity into this challenge. How can we act? What can we do personally and as, you know, uh, you know, a member of church together um, to just face those things and help to dismantle all the inequality if we can. Um, I know that a lot has to do with just, you know, the uh, um, the pursuit 
I mean, you know, of course, it's supposed to be life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, but it seems like it's mostly pursuit of money, and I understand that that's a tool, but there's voter suppression, redlining, we have inequality in our schools, and our jobs, you know, it's so much, I know, and that book sounds amazing. So I don't know if I've helped to kind of crystallize my point, but I'm totally... Patricia, Patricia, I am so sorry to interrupt you, but we're losing your phone. It's sort of like clicking in and out. So if you'll, I think we got the gist of your of your comment, though. And uh, but yeah, I I think we were just losing the signal. But um, but but if you'll stay in the line too, if you if we lose you, a call back because we want to give you a copy of the book, uh, Color Courageous Discipleship. But uh, but but I think you, Michelle, you probably got enough of that. That you heard the gist of her question is, you know, how how do we talk through and work through some of these issues specifically specifically mentioned in the context of uh, a Christian community? So talk to us a little bit about Patricia's question. Yes, well. The afterword to my book is written by my friend and best-selling author, Jamar Tisby. And so he's one of uh, the best people I can think of in terms of giving us actionable things that we can do to take next steps when it comes to racism and race, especially in the Christian community. And he has this really memorable um, little acronym. It's the ARC the arc of racial justice, A-R-C. And he said, if we want to make progress, we need A, we need awareness. And so we need to continue to grow in our understanding. What is happening? Why is it happening? Really going deeper in our level of awareness. So we need awareness. Then we need R, which is relationships. Okay. We really need to, um, we need to join hands uh, with people who are not like us, with people who are experiencing things differently from us and who are already on the journey. And as we build those relationships, we we will become much more effective uh, in understanding what we need to do. And then C, uh, A-R-C, uh, is commitment. And so, you know, we can't all do everything, can we? <laughs> um, there's, a, there's a whole lot of things, I think, that each one of us can do to contribute to uh, the pursuit of racial equality and King's ideal of beloved community, which we'll talk about, but we can't do everything, right? And so I think we also need to discern, okay, Lord, where do you want me to commit? Where do you want my church to commit? What are some particular ways that I can serve? Um, And so I think there's a lot of wisdom, arc of racial justice, awareness, relationships, and commitment. Good, good. And that's a helpful acronym, by the way, for those who don't recognize, that's also a quote. It's related to a quote uh, from Martin Luther King Jr., who said, the arc of the ah. moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice, unquote. So a clever, clever use of an acronym there with arc from our mutual friend, uh, just uh, uh, Martisby. Okay, so let's get some other calls here. I think we've got some some good questions here. We've got, uh, let's go to uh, George, Georgia in Iowa. Georgia in Iowa, that's a confusing introduction, but your name is Georgia and you're in Iowa uh, listening on KNWS. Go ahead with your question or your comment. Hello, my comment is that um, I am white. I call myself a human and I've raised my own biological biracial children. And I was really taken aback as my children were even in grade school because there is a belief out there and a worldly, ungodly, non-Christian belief that there is a scarcity of opportunity and privilege and resources. So many adults 
um, and their children learn that there is a fierce competition to be fiercely protective um, of all those resources instead of our godly Christian point of view that there's enough for any everyone, and the more we share, the more there will be for everyone. So I, I see it as a fiercely com- fierce competition and protectiveness of existing resources and not understanding that there's plenty for everyone. There's opportunity for, for, for everybody. Uh, okay, so let's talk some about that. Georgia, thank you for your call, too. If you'll hold on, too, we want to give you a copy of uh, of the book and Color Creators Discipleship. So, I mean, a lot of these questions do come around opportunity, access to opportunity, and more. And Georgia is concerned that we, uh, you know, we acknowledge there's not a scarcity of opportunity. Uh, do we, do you, in, in your understanding and in your writing, do you see a different access to opportunity based on race and ethnicity for different people? And if so, how should we address that? Well, let me first say, uh, Georgia, wow. (laughs) Um, The way that you put that was really beautiful. Um, You know, I do also agree that a lot of the problem um, with race today is uh, we have a zero sum mentality. It's like, well, if, if you get more, I get less. And that's necessarily how it is. And so we're just going to fight about this. Um, and and no, that's not uh, really the Christian view of the world uh, that, that God has created us all and provided for us all. Um, and so abundance is a much better way to, to go about our lives. So uh, first of all, thank you. Thank you so much for that. Um, Oh, are there differences of opportunity? I would say uh, yes, but it, it obviously depends on where you look. I think that something that's confusing, Ed, um, and, and I talk about my own journey. Now, I'm African-American. I do have the last name Sanchez, but I'm African-American. And one thing that um, I have experienced in my life, I actually would say I've experienced very little kind of in-your-face racism. And actually, you know, I have had many opportunities. We're in the post-civil rights era, right? I mean, we've had so much progress. We've had, Ed, we've had a black president and a black vice president. I mean, I think Martin Luther King is looking down in amazement um, in, in terms of technically speaking, technically, uh, th- there are really no opportunities that are closed uh, to people of color today. And and that's just taken a generation to, to get there, which is extraordinary. Okay. So no one can deny, uh, that, um, at the same time, you know, the, the expression, the exception to the rule, uh, there, there's exceptions to the rule. Uh, there are many, many, many exceptions today. I, I say I had an exceptional experience too. Um, although I was born in a low income, uh, area, my parents, were able to move to uh, an area that was nicer and better resourced. And so I had many opportunities in my life as a black woman. At the same time, at the same time, when we look at the general trend, when we look at the the rule that still exists, African-American people are not thriving. Um, And in general, people of color are not thriving to the same extent as our majority white brothers and sisters. So uh, again, it's it's hard in just a soundbite to kind of explain uh, why that is and what exactly is going on. But I, I think it's enough just to see um, that we're not all thriving today and to really work together uh, in the name of Jesus uh, to move toward flourishing together. Good. And Georgia, if you'll stay in the line, I don't know if I said this, if you'll stay in the line, we're going to give you a copy 
of Color Courageous Discipleship. Thank you for your your good your good call. Let's go to to Mary in West Carrollton, Ohio, listening on WCRF. Mary, you're live on the on the air with your question or your comment. Yes, uh, I listen to WFCJ, um, oh, but great. I've always considered myself colorblind, and I'm proud of it that I ignore that. When I fill out applications, they ask my race. And I say, God loves everybody equally. And I bypass that question. Yes, I guess I should answer the question. I don't know why. I mean, I don't know if I recognize racism or not. Yes, I have seen it sometimes. But I probably should answer the questions. Okay. Well, Mary, I, 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 oh, we lost you there. Can you say that one more time, Mary? You've changed my mind on whether I answer that question. Oh, interesting. <laughs> interesting. Oh, good. Well, Mary, thank you so much for your call, too. When you hold on, oh. we want to give you a copy of Color Courageous Discipleship. But again, Mary started with a, with a again, she, she talked about she always ignored and and i think actually it's optional to answer that question so i think but but she always kind of ignored that and i and i do think and and this i mean again this is the thesis so much of what you're saying we need to be courageous about acknowledging color and and in not just acknowledging celebrating those distinctions and more so to come back again just kind of following off of mary's comment and tell us why the and starts let's start pointing towards beloved community how that's different than being colorblind yeah, and and let me be crystal clear, everybody. Um, if you have had a color br- a blind approach, it's okay. You know, I like to tell people we've been part of the color blind generation. I am black, and I grew up color blind. I grew up with the attitude that, hey, let's not pay attention to color because you know we don't need to. We all are equal uh, now, and. So, so I think that we're just in a place of growth at this point, and it's a great thing. And again, what are we talking about here? What does it mean to move from colorblind to color courageous? Um, what we want to keep, we want to keep the understanding that we are equally created in God's image. Amen. Keep that, okay? But we also want to do two other things. First, we want to celebrate the ways that we're different, the God-given ways that we are different. Um, God is glorified in our ethnic differences, and we don't want to miss that. So we want to see it so we can celebrate it. And at the same time, we want to see where our differences may uh, be causing problems in a broken world, right? Difference is good, but in in a broken world, it can often lead to inequality, injustice, and conflict. So we want to have our eyes wide open so that we could see where our differences may be leading to some challenges so that we can courageously address them. Good deal. We're going to continue our conversation with Michelle Michelle Sanchez. Why can I not say Michelle Sanchez five times fast? But anyway, we're going to continue our conversation with Michelle in just a moment. We're talking about her book, Color Courageous Discipleship. And if I didn't mention it, we're going to give a copy of that to Mary. Thanks for calling in for West Carrollton. And we're going to take a few more calls on the other side and continue to press in on this issue of beloved community. You're listening to Ed Stetzer Live with my guest, Michelle Sanchez. Thanks for listening and stay with us. Important conversation still ahead.
Okay, we're back. Ed Stetzer Live. We're having a conversation here. During the break, I practiced saying, all you have to do to say Michelle Sanchez's name is to separate the two words. That's my thing right now. Michelle, done. Sanchez, easy to say. Sorry, Michelle. You probably are like, why is he doing this? Because I've been traveling four days across the country in a car. So, um, And I've known you for years, and yet here I am. I just got to remember to say those two things separately. But all right, we got a couple of calls we want to jump right into. First, we're going to go to Randy in Indiana listening on WGNR. Randy, you are live on the air with your question or your comment. Go right ahead. Yeah, my question is, how do I continue? I have an opportunity to influence the next generation, say between 18 and 30, um, most of which whom are actually Caucasian or white. And how do we um, broach the subject without making folks feel guilty? The Lord has given me several opportunities to do so, but I want to do it in a winsome way as I'm able to build disciples and me myself for me to grow through this. How do I do that and do it well? Love it, love it. What do you think, Michelle? Oh, such a great question. The good thing about young people these days is that generally they're ready. They're ready for this conversation and they're interested. Okay, the younger you get, what we see in the research is the more interested um, folks are to talk about race. And so that's exciting to me. A couple of suggestions. First, uh, if you're dealing with a Christian community, you can you can make this a discipleship journey. So you can, you know, say, hey, this is a core element of what it means to follow Jesus, and we can grow closer to Jesus as we engage in racial reconciliation together. And for followers of Jesus, you know, that's exciting. And so to to really continue to point to Jesus, to point to Jesus Christ as the one who was calling us to this, um, I, I would say that's my number one recommendation. Also, um, stay away from the language of should and must. Stay away, from, stay away from the language of should and must. Now, that might sound funny, but... I'm so grateful. I had one person give me some feedback on on my first draft, um, and they said uh, of my book, and they said, "Wow, there's a lot of shoulds in here. It makes me feel bad, <laughs> you know." And I, and I said, "You know, that's true." And and um, God, God is about invitation. Our God um, is inviting each one of us onto an exciting adventure. Okay, and we want to use that kind of language that people might imagine a different way forward, that they are invited into an adventure of growth. Right. You see, those are beautiful invitations versus saying, hey, this is something you should do. You need to get on board. What's wrong with you? Right. No, that's (laughs) I I don't want to do that. And most people don't either. Good, good, good. All right. So uh, again, stand in line. We're going to a copy of Michelle's book. Let me also mention too that when we talk about, I keep saying your book, but it's actually kind of a, a trio of resources. There's your book, Color Courageous Discipleship, Follow Jesus, Dismantle Racism, and Build Beloved Community. There's actually then a, a picture book for children, God's Beloved Community, a picture book, and um, which, I, which I think is cool. And then there's an additional Color Courageous Discipleship student edition, Follow Jesus, dismantle racism, and build beloved community. So those are so you kind of go. I mean, she was talking about eighteen to thirty year olds, but you got children and students, which I guess we would call youth uh, options as well for these resources. Tell us more about them. Oh yeah. So in my work, I get to oversee uh, discipleship resources for all ages. Um, as I lead discipleship for the Evangelical Covenant denomination. And so I was very keen on providing a resource that you could use for your entire family or for your entire church or ministry. And so, yes, Color Courageous Discipleship for Adults, 
There is a version for youth or students. And then there's the picture book called God's Beloved Community. And actually, I'll tell you this. Um, if you text the word courage to 44144, if you text the word courage to 44144, you can get a sneak peek of all three books for all ages. Nice. Nice. Okay, good. Um, the I want to talk a little bit more about Beloved Community, and we got a little about a couple of minutes left, um, because you kind of contrast, you know, it is Martin Luther King uh, holiday, uh, Junior King holiday birthday uh, celebration this weekend. And um, you, you say, rather than being colorblind, we, color courageous, but we want to work towards beloved community. What What's that language? What does that phrase mean, beloved community? Unpack that for us. Yes. So let me tell you, this past summer, I had the opportunity to visit the King Center in Atlanta. Um, this is where you could visit uh, the a museum about King. You could visit the home he was born in. You could visit the church he preached at and his grave. And it's all within a few blocks. Um, and visiting his grave site was just an amazing experience. Uh, he and Coretta are both, his wife are both buried there. And right across the way, there's something called the eternal flame. And it's just what it sounds like. It is a little flame that never, ever goes out. And it represents the dream of Martin Luther King. Well, what was that dream, right? If you ask a lot of people, you'll probably get a lot of different answers, but the King Center, who represents him, has a plaque right next to that flame. And they said, this dream, the dream of Dr. Martin Luther King that we never want to end is beloved community, beloved community. And increasingly toward the end of his life, King said, my dream is beloved community. Here's a quote. He said, I do not think of political power as an end. Neither do I think of economic power as an end. They're ingredients in the objective that we seek in life. And the end of that objective is the creation of the beloved community. So in King's mind, beloved community was a community of diverse people grounded in the love of God, loving one another as Christ loves us. So good. And Michelle Sanchez, I'm so thankful that you'd come on the program today and talk with us again i look forward to the book so obviously i want to encourage you to get it it's called color courageous disciples uh, discipleship follow jesus dismantle racism and build beloved community if you go to edsetzerlive.com you can get a link to all the books and all the resources and also to an article that i asked the shelter write for us over at church leaders i serve uh, help the folks at church leaders and she has an article that really unpacks this even more so again thanks for listening to etc live get a copy of color courageous discipleship by michelle Sanchez, one of the different resources that are there and we look forward to talking to you again next Sunday, next Saturday, and we continue our conversations together.